Hey, deserving listeners. Today we're going to talk about self-sabotage. Let, let me tell you a quick story before we talk about this. I am trying to go on a diet. I'm trying to eat more healthily. I'm trying to not eat junk food that I know is bad for me, but tastes oh so good. And the other night I was a little stressed out and a little, I don't know, feeling like I needed a, a reward or something. And, and really I was only like two or three days into this diet, honestly, but I broke down and had a whole bunch of, of Mexican food, you know, like nachos and quesadillas and salsa and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I afterwards thought, man, I just completely sabotaged my, my thing there. And why? And I, and I feel like I do that a lot with things like nachos. Nachos are my self-sabotage main medium. And so I thought I would talk with a, with a, with an expert about self-sabotage. Maybe he could fix my problem. Mike Bundrant, uh, welcome to the podcast to talk about self-sabotage. Thanks, Kirk. I appreciate you having me, and uh, I'll throw in another vote for uh, the nachos uh, as a form of self-sabotage. I can identify with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Mike's going to help us out with that. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Mike, you're also a clinician. Tell me just a brief amount about your profession. Out of college, I got my license as a professional counselor. I practiced for 10 years, to say agency counselor, and I went into private practice, and I sort of worked in that uh, mental health system. And at the same time, um, I had learned neurolinguistic programming, known as NLP, and I would say the mental health version of NLP. There are other versions out there. And now I offer continuing education programs for mental health counselors, um, you know, people through the National Association for Drug and Alcohol Counselors, uh, also life coaches. And so that's the nutshell version of what I've been up to. Yeah. And we'll have future episodes for you to come on to talk about NLP, neurolinguistic programming and and also coaching. It's been two topics I've been wanting to talk about, so we can do that. Where, where are you right now? Uh, near San Diego. I'm in Temecula, California. And are, are, am I under the impression that you are also uh, plugging a book? I, am I getting that? or? I did write on self-sabotage. It's called Your Achilles Eel. Uh, so that's Achilles heel without the H on the heel, Your Achilles Eel. And it's a short Kindle book about self-sabotage in which the uh, sort of unconscious self-sabotaging part of you decides to begin talking to you and telling you all of its dirty little secrets about how it manipulates you into uh, choosing the thing that would make you the least happy. So it's called Your Achilles Eel. It's It's on Amazon. So what can you tell the listeners and me about how to refrain from nachos? <laughs> refrain from nachos. It's interesting that um, when we make those kinds of decisions, um, whether it's uh, nachos when we're stressed or 
maybe getting sucked into an argument or sort of making decisions like that where it sort of happens on autopilot. I mean, it could be procrastinating doing something that you know that you need to do. Um, it's interesting that we make those decisions in, in the moment. Um, and the nachos are going to taste really good. It's immediate gratification. And then afterwards, um, and we're not surprised, uh, we feel crappy, right? We feel uh, from not only from whatever the physical effects of it, if it's food, uh, but also the emotional effects of it. It's like I blew it again. Um, I feel less than I don't feel adequate I feel whatever down on myself um, it could be uh, very much a, a form of self-rejection and so and we kind of know we're go we're going there um, because we're not surprised when we get there we've done it before but we don't take that into consideration when we're making the decision but at some level we do know uh, that that that's what's happening, and so I suggest that you know self sabotage is getting in your own way. It is unwittingly seeking something that's going to make you unhappy. It's seeking something, probably the thing that you hate the most and complain about the most, but you end up in that situation uh, time and time again. We all have different patterns of self-sabotage and you know we get myopic when we're in the moment but when we look at if we ask ourselves where is this going I'm standing here in front of a plate of nachos I want them and I'm gonna eat them and the next step is I'm gonna feel like um, you know a pile of dirt I'm gonna just feel horrible lethargic like I can't do anything right like I blew it again that's where it's headed and if we take that into consideration when we're eating the nachos, suddenly the you know positive side of the equation is balanced out. It's like it's not as tempting anymore. But to me, the more interesting question is, you know, at some level, knowing where it's going, why do we justify doing it? In other words, we could look at eating a plate of nachos. We could look at overlooking the red flags in a relationship and inviting this person uh, in spite of the red flags. I'm going to invite this person into my life. Um, I'm not going to be surprised when they end up, you know, uh, rejecting me, controlling me, manipulating me, abusing me in some way. I mean, it's quite serious. I'm going to overlook the red flags. So in my mind, I'm going to justify going where I don't want to go. Um, and sort of make excuses to go there. And so it's as if a part of us wants to go there. And why? Right. The, the example of the nachos makes logical sense because it tastes good and, and we evolved to eat things that taste good. And, mm -hmm. But when it comes to repeatedly self-sabotaging through poor relationship choices, it makes less sense because it's not, uh, it doesn't feel good throughout the entire experience, you know? Um, I guess it might feel initially good to some extent, but 
there are there are certain classes of self-sabotage that are seemingly the way you're describing it which is a part of the self is trying to um you know do something that is going to harm the self mm-hmm. um I, I talked with as a therapist when when I think of self-sabotage and clients, I think of kids and teenagers who mm-hmm. will repeatedly break rules that don't even benefit them and create all these consequences from authority that restrict their freedom. Mm-hmm. And they continually self-sabotage in that way. Yep. And, and then they naturally complain, but it's like all you have to do is just not steal makeup from the grocery store and all you you know it's not hard you you can live life you can have fun you just have to not punch your teachers in the face or you just have to uh, not stay out five hours after curfew or you know there's just these (laughs) these things that kids will do uh, that are sabotaging themselves Mm -hmm. to the point where they're they're ruining their lives and Mm -hmm. they are in a much worse place than if they just cut out a, a few behaviors. You know, they could they could even do a lot of these things if they just kept it kept it on the DL. You know, <laughs> it it's like they want to get caught. And that's yeah. that self sabotage part. So so why do we do that? Yeah, and um, I, I think you make a great point. And I would say that whether or not there's a temporary rush, a temporary pleasure. Um, it ends up in the same place. If I am, you know, uh, one of these kids, it's like I'm a vi- I'm inviting oppression. Um, it's like I want to be oppressed, right? I'm inviting people to control me, monitor me, contain me, uh, take charge of me in, uh, uh, take charge of me in some way to to oppress me in a, in a relationship. You know, maybe I invite uh, people who are not loyal or people who are dismissive and rejecting. It's like I know that that's what I'm going to get and I do it anyways. And when you talk to people about that, it's like, okay, so you got into this relationship and what were the red flags that you saw? And they start talking about the red flags like, okay, but you overlooked the red flags and got into the relationship anyways yeah I did and is it surprising to you what's happened mm, I get you know no not not really right and it's almost like you say well what is it you're going through the day each day feeling rejected betrayed dismissed or if you're someone who has a problem with the man you're going through the day each day resisting the authority feeling oppressed controlled Um, and so on and so forth. What is it about that that's appealing? And when you talk to people, if there is anything appealing about it, and the first answer is, no, I hate it. But why don't you do something else? And when you really get that into that conversation with people with a high level of trust and rapport in the relationship and so forth, people start to say things like, well, this is all I know. I've never had anyone in my life in the relationship example I've never had anyone in my life that treated me decently and with respect and that I can trust in fact I don't trust people that I can trust right or I'm not attracted to people 
who treat me well. Um, it's like it's a foreign thing uh, in many cases. And the answer is often, this is the devil that I know. This is what's familiar to me. I, I can't imagine being anything different. And if I were anything different, in a way, that would be scary. I'd be in really unfamiliar territory. And it's sort of like we will choose a familiar misery over a happiness that appears foreign every time. We'll stay in the rut we're familiar with. We'll stick with the devil that we know. And that familiarity principle, and when you think on the broader terms, what's familiar is home, what's familiar is pleasurable, what's familiar is safe. And so in a really kind of primal way, um, familiarity wins the day. And even if what's familiar is miserable, at least it's safe. It's what we know. It's survivable. And the idea of something different that is happy and joyful and vibrant and energetic and empowered that idea can appear foreign and terrifying, frankly. Yeah, exactly. When I talk about my brand of psychodynamic object relations, uh, conceptualizations regarding what I, I guess we could call self-sabotage, I will talk about that. I, I will also add the, the other reason, which is that we and this is just a model of, 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 of looking at human behavior that's strange, uh, such as self-sabotage, we will recreate past experiences as a way of trying to create a new outcome, even though mm -hmm. it's unconscious and they often don't produce a new outcome. Exactly. So you're abused as a kid physically, and you grow up and you're uh, unconsciously attracted to abusive partners, yep. and then you recreate this past experience partially because of what you're talking about in terms of it's safe. We know the devil, you know, they say, right. Mm -hmm. And we also equate love with abuse, but we also are trying to have a new outcome. We're trying to recreate the past because we, we would like to go back into the past and have a different outcome. One in which, for instance, if we were abused, we have more power or there's a different result or something. But what ends up happening is the exact same thing happens unless you have conscious control over your environment, which therapy can help with. So, yeah. So, yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. And what you said, you said something in that. I, um, I, I agree. I, I, uh, I totally agree with what you're saying as well. And you said something in there that's really profound. Um, it's that, you know, we can equate abuse with love and it's that pleasure principle. If we start talking about the pleasure principle, which is, you know, we seek what's pleasurable and we, we want to avoid what's painful. Um, there's something interesting happens. Like if that kind of held up, how does that explain people doing things that cause them pain over and over and over and over again? And there seems to be some malleability in the way that we perceive pleasure and pain. And, you know, certain communities of people, the, you know, uh, BDSM community, these are people who do take real physical pleasure and real physical pain. But emotionally, we can 
do the same thing. So when a child is growing up and, you know, even with good parents, there's no way for a child to grow up given where a baby is coming from in terms of no boundaries, no sense of time, no sense of other people and their limitations. It's like, I want what I want and I want it now. And I'm enraged if I don't get it. So that's the starting point. And we've got to go through a process process of instilling boundaries and hopefully we'll have them by the time we're an adult. But it's a rocky road where we are going to experience, even with good parents, a a tremendous amount of feeling rejected, feeling controlled, feeling deprived, and so on and so forth. Just because we don't have expectations other than immediate gratification with no sense of other people. Well, if you're going sort of along along the way, you know, being raised and you experience a, you know, a threat, a significant amount of being controlled, for example, your parents make all your decisions for you. They don't give you the leeway that you need to make decisions, suffer the consequences, help you out, teach you, or you experience a lot of being rejected. Uh, you can't do anything right. You're criticized and so on and so forth. I mean, uh, that's a very, very painful kind of experience. And as you said, uh, abuse can equate to love. Uh, a shift can happen where it's like this daily onslaught of negativity I'm I'm getting. I've got to do something with it. And so we begin to uh, turn it in to something positive uh, just so that it's tolerable. At least adapt to it, build a high tolerance for it, familiarize it so that it's bearable. And then an interesting thing happens is that now it's familiar and we tend to seek what's familiar um sort of like you know you can imagine a young boy and you know mom is constantly uh, criticizing controlling intervening and so on and so forth and he's getting in trouble all the time for normal things and he's so bothered but at a certain age he figures out that um he can control mom he can push her buttons he can do things that set her off and he frequently does and he giggles about it right he's like now he's made that whole thing bearable he's made it something that he can live with and so on and so forth i mean we're so adaptable that we can even turn what's really really painful into something that is bearable or even pleasurable and, you know, thank goodness because it helps us get through things. And at the same time, we end up seeking more of the same. So that's one of the threads that I like to focus on with people. It's like, what are you seeking and how are you seeking it? And how are you finding some advantage in seeking this negative thing that consciously you complain about, consciously you don't want? But it's like there's an unconscious script in there that's saying, um, this is what you do, right? So is that how you help people to not self-sabotage, is by bringing that into conscious awareness? Yeah, I'm a big believer in integrating uh, the conscious and unconscious, you know, to the degree that, that we can, which is, I believe, to a very, very small degree. But if um but i believe in i have clients um 
do what I call a, a truth statement. Uh, and sometimes it's an absurd truth statement, right? But we sort of look at the results of what's happening. So let's say I go through my day anxious and I feel like at every turn somebody's looking down on me or, or rejecting me. And that's the result I get. And then my behaviors somehow end up creating more of, of that result and so forth. It's like, okay, I have people sort of put the pieces together in terms of how they're seeing things, how they're interacting, how their first interpretation is to go to rejection. I send my friend a text message. I don't hear back within a minute. I go, ah, he doesn't even like me anymore, something like that. It's like I'm primed. I'm all set to seize on an opportunity, unconsciously seize on an opportunity to experience rejection. So I like to uh, have people set up what's called what I, I call a true statement, which is something along the lines of today, as I go through the day, I'm going to look for every opportunity I can to experience rejection. And it's like, let's put it on the table because that seems to be what's happening every day. If that's what's happening every day, why don't we consciously, consciously step into that and own the process and figure out how we're doing it and catch ourselves in the act for something like the nacho debacle. It would be, I'm going to eat these nachos so that I can feel bloated, lethargic, less than, like a failure. And here I go. And you can sort of consciously walk yourself through the entire process. If it's happening on autopilot anyway, it's, it's like, well, I did eat the nachos and I did feel lethargic and I did feel like a failure. Let's get involved in that process consciously right up front. And what happens is we end up with more choice. We, we cannot make conscious choices about things that we're not aware of. We're doing. Well, that, well that's the trick, right, is to in the moment of temptation, shall we say, to interrupt that or even know to interrupt that yeah. that process. How do you help clients with that? Well, um, it's there's um, there's the true statement thing and sort of identifying the triggers and identifying the times where you're going to say it. That that's one part of it. But I I find that it the process is. Uh, expedited or sort of uh, enhanced when somebody finally gets what they're doing, what they've been doing, and why they're doing it. In other words, if I'm uh, setting myself up to feel like a failure and sort of no matter what I do, I find a way to end up feeling like a failure. It's like, you know, in uh, therapy or um, in uh, consulting, coaching, whatever people are doing these days, you can ask questions. But it's like, well, how did you learn to do that? How did you learn that that was a good thing? How did you learn that that was the best choice? And you start shedding lots of insight and you fill in the story of how did you get here with the kind of radical reversal of you learn to seek this out. You learn this was the best course of action. And it's such a an aha moment for people because typically we're going through the day going complaining about it and 
thinking that in no way are we seeking. We experience it passively as if, ah, it happened to me or I did it again, but I don't know why and I don't have any control over it and I'm frustrated. But when you fill in that backstory along with, you know, some uh, a perspective that says you're un you've been unwittingly seeking this and it makes sense that you have been. And so now first step just own what you're doing. Stop fighting it. Change will come as you integrate this awareness. Stop fighting it. Just own what you're doing and don't worry about anything beyond that. When people have that broader perspective of, you know, how and why I got here and what I'm actually doing, which is I'm seeking this stuff out unwittingly, it really helps to provide the motivation, a fresh perspective, that aha moment where they go, wow, now I have a little bit of hope. That's motivating to actually implement it in the moment. I like it. So let's try this out on me. <laughs> I own the fact that I like nachos and that I also own the fact that I uh, have a motivation to sabotage my diet and I need to, uh, the, the thing that I think would particularly work for me with what you're saying is as I am in the beginning phase of planning out my nacho situation, I, I, I bring the future into that moment. That's a huge one. Right. Um, it's like, how are you going to feel after this? That's and it. what's the what's the bigger picture to this? And not don't just think about how it's going to feel to, you know, have the nacho ritual. But what what's the what's the overall walk it forward? Uh, walk yeah, it forward. All of the all of the feelings, not just the immediate feelings. Yeah. And I would add, you know, I would say the next step would be then identify what you're feeling physically, identify what you're feeling emotionally afterwards. And then when the physical feelings are you know, pretty well explainable, the emotional feelings is you start to go, huh, what, how did I learn to do things that make me feel this way? Um, how, did, how did I learn that? If I'm unconsciously seeking out this feeling as if it were a good thing, when and how and where did I learn it was a good thing? And then you start to fill in the history of it and you go, wow, right? I mean, potentially you go, that, that's fascinating. I'm seeking out this whatever the emotional wreckage is of my behavior. I'm, I'm going there. I'm going there. Then you can, when you're standing in front of the plate of nachos armed with kind of that information, to use a war metaphor, um, you can go, okay, I'm, I want to eat these nachos and so that I feel lethargic and whatever the emotional wreckage is uh, because, you know, whatever, I'm seeking to keep that aspect of me alive. I've learned that that aspect of me is safe and, and so on and so forth. And you go, okay, now... How important are the nachos? Uh, do I really need to do this? Do I really need to feel X, Y, or Z in order to feel safe or in order to feel satisfied? Uh, and so forth. Yeah, I think what it is for me is it's 
in order to feel like my life is interesting or something. Ah, yeah. <laughs> um, or in order to feel like my life isn't just a monotonous, uh, boring sequence from one minute to the next. Drama. Of, of uninteresting life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like... I could have a salad, but that would be uninteresting. But if I had nachos, then that would that would be interesting. You know, that would be an experience to remember. You know, whereas a salad or some other kind of thing won't will will be something will be forgettable. Right. Right. Um, and, I, yeah. I don't want to live an unforgettable life to myself. Well, and the again, we're not go we uh, the the fallout of it is also unforgettable. Sometimes we get addicted to the emotional roller coaster, the struggle, the drama, uh, having something to overcome that we can't overcome and sort of grappling with it. Um, sometimes we need a thread of drama in our life, that one area of our life that we can't get figured out and it's constantly frustrating and so forth. And it's sort of like, I need that. Right. That yeah, part. yeah, I agree with that one. And that's a weird one, though. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. why would we create artificial barriers and obstacles for us to overcome? But but the way you're phrasing it makes sense. Yeah. We we want to have an interesting life. We want to have something happen in our life that's not boring. We want to overcome things. That's nice to overcome things. And if nothing is standing in our way, or if things are standing in our way that are seemingly insurmountable, we'll create a smaller speed bump for ourselves that we can surmount ourselves. Right. right. It's almost like if I don't have these uh, obstacles in my life, then I have no purpose, right? Because I am the whatever hero that I'm talking about myself. Now I'm the hero that overcomes the obstacles and the adversity and so on and so forth. And if I don't have those I start to get anxious, like, well, wait a minute, life is too smooth, right? Uh, and, and that could seem boring and and so forth. But it is a great question. Why do we create these artificial obstacles? And, you know, I, I think um, clearly we do. I, and as I look at my life, the majority of obstacles are self-created. And not necessary. So we clearly do it. And the question is, what motivates us to do that and to endure the self-inflicted suffering that, that goes along with it? Just fascinating, fascinating questions to me. Maybe we could all change our self-sabotage into the thing to overcome and then flip it on its head, right? There you go. Yes, absolutely. Uh, all right, Mike. Well, that is fascinating. Why, why don't you uh, plug a couple things? So the book is called what again? The book is called Your Achilles Eel. Uh, it's about a it's a metaphor metaphorical part of you that I'm calling the eel. It's the part of you that just it's uh, kind of a parasite, and it it feeds on the negative emotions that come from self-sabotage, self-sabotage, and it gives you an appetite for these emotions, and now it's telling you its story. Uh, so your Achilles eel, it's on amazon.com and by Mike Bundrant. By Mike Bundrant. And then my website is INLPcenter.com. 
inlpcenter.org, inlpcenter.org. We're a uh, we're a website. We offer certification training in neurolinguistic programming, life coaching, hypnosis, uh, and uh, we get a lot of continuing uh, education. Uh, enrollments, people seeking to, you know, get their CEUs for their license and so on and, and so forth. So that that's our main website, inlpcenter.org. I also blog for psychcentral.com. You can sort of, my blog is NLP discoveries on psychcentral.com, in which I hardly ever write about NLP on that blog, but so be it. We should do an episode about hypnosis too. Yes, um, absolutely. Um, this, you know, what I love about uh, sort of NLP and hypnosis and, you know, uh, many of these sort of, uh, I guess, alternative approaches that so, so much of them is, uh, you know, filled with hype and BS and, and uh, sort of manipulators and so forth. Uh, but at the core of them is something incredibly valuable and it's not magic it's not you know, just really value va in nlp a really valuable structural way of uh of viewing the world uh, uh and incredibly flexible but then you get people who go out there and basically ruin his reputation like you do with so many things but uh yeah yeah well thanks mike for coming on the podcast yeah. it's been interesting uh, uh, the next time I have a nachos urge, I'm going to own my feelings oh, and try right. to bring the future into the present to help guide my nacho behavior. There you go. Let me know how that goes. Thanks for joining right. us out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really do. 